hey, it's me, the burgers that you're cooking up on the grill because it's the 4th of July. Now, I know you got to wait for the grill to heat up. You got to wait for the burgers to be done. You got to pass this time. How could you pass this time? By listening to an episode of this podcast. Before continuing my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, if you live in New York City, we are less than one month away from the first tour that kicks off the Pot Tour List live show tour. We're coming to a bunch of different cities in the U.S. in August. We start things off in New York City on August 4th. If you want to get tickets to that show or any of the other shows and see if we're coming to a city near you, you can visit potterlistpodcast.com slash live. Also, this is the first episode of Potterless in July, meaning that it's donation time. Here at Potterless, each month we take $1 for every member of our team over at patreon.com slash potterless, and we donate it to a different charity. At the time of recording, we have 630 patrons, meaning that we will be donating $630 to Ocean Conservancy, specifically restoring the Gulf of Mexico. I'm sure that if you were on the internet in the past couple days, you saw that the ocean was on fire thanks to an oil and gas pipeline burst slash fire in the middle of the ocean. I can't believe I'm saying the ocean was on fire, but the ocean was on fire. This is awful. I want to do anything that I can to help, and I think giving to this charity is a great way to start. From using technology like seafloor mapping to having dedicated marine mammal rehabilitation crews to speaking to policy leaders, Ocean Conservancy is doing a lot of different things to not only restore the Gulf, but to ensure its continued resiliency in the face of future threats and disasters like the one that happened a couple days ago. So if you want to learn more about what they are doing, you can go to oceanconservancy.org and check them out. And speaking of that Patreon team, we've new members of our team over at patreon.com slash potterless who are supporting the show and getting bonus content in exchange for doing so. So shout out to Kevin Decker and Dusty Hammond for supporting the show. And of course, a huge shout out to our producer level patrons, Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Juan, Rose, Marie, Maria, Lisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Nikki, Kine, Sarah, Marta, Flor, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Carrie, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marike, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Pita, Callahan, Bella, Melanie, Rees, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Demi, Michelle, Henrika, Casey, Megan, Jack, Stain, Little, Elaria, Gregory, Cawcaw, Ribbon, Jack, Serenity, Haley, Sabrina, Jenny, Eileen, Annette, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Tate, Sam, Sam, Adriana, John, Jody, Dunanash, Emma, Il, Sean, Greg, Matthew, Ping, Vinacek, Nani, Emma, Toff, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never have a really easy overhead shot in tennis and think, oh man, I'm gonna jump in the air and smash this and look really, really cool, and then they just hit it directly into the net and then they lose the point. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to monthly live streams, bonus episodes, exclusive merchandise, discounts on the merch store, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 183 of Potterless, kickstarting our coverage of the second Lego Harry Potter game, years five through seven, guest starring Micah Tannenbaum from MuggleCast. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult. He did not play Harry Potter video games as a kid, but now he did as an adult as well, and he's talking about them. My name is Mike Schubert. I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined today by another host of MuggleCast. It's Micah Tannenbaum. Micah, how's it going? Good, Mike. How are you? I am doing well. It's great to be back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. I'm glad we were able to do the original one-two punch that you, Eric, and I had all discussed 5,000 years ago at a podcast movement in Florida. So it's nice. We did a one-two punch with the Fantastic Beast stuff, but now we get to do the true thing with the Lego games, which we enjoy. Eric obviously made his love for the series known and loved, but how passionate slash how much do you enjoy these games? What is your experience with them aside from prepping for this episode? Yeah, so I'm sure Eric did a lot of talking as it relates to these video games because (laughs) I know he loves them dearly. And uh, actually played years one through four with him. Must have been a couple of years ago, back when I was visiting him in Chicago. But same as him, I really think that these are, at least currently, the best Harry Potter video games that are out there just because it's amazing how much detail is in these games. And, you know, they follow the storyline of the films, but the amount of detail from the books is just unbelievable. And you could tell that these games were made by Harry Potter fans. Yeah, for sure. And that's something you want to see. And I think it really comes through 
factor in the game. And I really enjoyed playing the Years 5 through 7 game as well. That's what we'll be talking about in this episode. As far as the differences between Years 1 through 4 to Years 5 through 7, from a gameplay perspective, it's pretty much the same. The graphics are obviously better. The cutscenes look a little bit nicer, especially in my PS4 remastered edition that I was playing it on. The depth of field is really nice. There's some soft focus in the cutscenes. They look really pretty. And then I just felt like playing the two games pretty much back to back. I just felt like things were a lot smoother in years five through seven. Just it was easier to do the spells using circle instead of square, like square, you just kind of shoot off a spell. Circle is usually if you're trying to do a particular action, like you're trying to mold bricks on the ground into a thing, etc. I found those commands to go a lot more smoothly where playing the first game, I found myself doing a lot of, no, I want to do this. No, I want to do this. No, I want to do this. Whereas in this second game, I felt like I spent less time retrying to do the same thing over and over again. And it just made for a more enjoyable, smoother gameplay experience for me. I would agree. And I was actually reading an article on five through seven and we sat down MuggleCast years and years ago with the game director for Lego Harry Potter, Arthur Parsons. And he was talking about how five through seven is actually bigger than one through four because of the split for Deathly Hallows Mm -hmm. and also not spending as much time at Hogwarts as you would normally do during the first four years. That makes sense. You got to make more levels. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also more challenging for them. But again, it's just the attention to detail, the fact that this game was developed by Potter fans for Potter fans. Yeah. I mean, there's so many great things about it. I love that you need certain characters in order to progress through uh, various levels, all the little Easter eggs along the way. I think about things like Slughorn can turn into an armchair and there's no real purpose for it, just other than the fact that he can turn into an armchair. (laughs) If you leave Tonks idle for long enough, her hair changes color in the background because she gets frustrated. So it's all those little things, the careful attention that was provided that makes this game just so fun to play. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think we should just get right into it and start talking about how the game feels going from years five through seven. So for the cutscenes with year five, it begins with Harry reading the newspaper with Cedric's death. And the way that they signify Cedric's death on the newspaper is just all of his assorted Lego pieces kind of jumbled in the Triwizard Cup. His head is separated from his torso from his legs just in the cup. And you get the classic Dudley and his friends bullying Harry in the playground scene. And the clothing representation is very accurate. They make it look just like the obnoxious mid-2000s clothes that they had in the movie, which is so fun. Yeah, and and that's the way that Lego does things, right? You're, Mm -hmm. You're taking a very serious moment in what happened at the end of Goblet of Fire and in Cedric being killed. And they basically just, as you said, split him into a bunch of pieces and throw him in the Triwizard Cup. And that's how they signify that. Mm -hmm. And if you're a kid, I think you probably appreciate that. Yeah. And even as an adult, I do too. It is nice to see the way that they approach some of the more serious things that happen in a silly way where you don't have to see some of this stuff. And we'll get into it later. But I do think they do a great job. So later on, of course, you have Harry and Dudley running away from the Dementors. And then when you get the frazzled Dudley, it is great because just something about when a tongue is sticking out on a Lego head in these games, because it has to go into 3D past the plane of the cylindrical face, (laughs) like breaks the cylindrical wall, which is always really fun. And I did notice, and this happens a couple of times, and I'm confused about why it happened. Vernon Dursley looks completely different. He looks like a much older man. And I don't know if they did this to address the actors looking different or if they did it. I know Eric last time talked a lot about making the Lego pieces look exactly like the Lego sets. Maybe in between the first and second games coming out, there was a Lego set made for a character that hadn't been made before. So they changed it accordingly. There were a few characters that didn't look exactly the same. And Vernon was the first example of that that I noticed. Yeah. I've often wondered that too, because you don't really see size play much of a role in Lego Harry Potter either. And and we all know Vernon is a larger individual, mm-hmm. maybe not Hagrid size, but right. that was one other thing that jumped out at me too, is that he trimmed down. I don't know. Maybe he went on a diet prior to the Lego games being uh, created. He knew they were filming for the game cutscenes, So he, you know, really stuck to the good diet, didn't have as much bacon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, you know, started running around, privet drive, et cetera. Good for Vernon. Yeah. Exactly. So Harry has the first of many Voldemort dream scar pain sequences. And I really appreciate that the Lego version of this, it looks 
pretty different, but you do still have Voldemort in a suit for no good reason, which was always one of my favorite parts of the movie adaptation. It was just so silly. So the fact that they kept that made me very happy. Little Lego suit Voldemort, super cute. Yeah, just kind of how he pops up at the train station there. And mm-hmm. like I said, you're going to get a lot of these moments where you, as a Potter fan, really do appreciate the amount of care that went into it, right? They, they seem to know just the right things to pick. Totally. And I don't know if this was a playable character because I didn't fully complete this second game, but if Voldemort in a suit isn't the most expensive character in this game, <laughs> I will be very upset because that's clearly the best piece. I'm trying to remember now if you can play as him in the suit. You definitely can unlock Voldemort right. as one of the 200 characters, <laughs> which is also just... I don't know how you would ever find the time to sit down and play as all of them. So many. But the fact that they are available to you uh, is great. But that's a great question, actually. I'm going to have to go back and, and see if I can find that out. Yeah. Hey, everyone. It's me editing Mike with some somber news. Unfortunately, suit Voldemort is not a playable character in Harry Potter years five through seven. I think that we should just take a moment of silence for this huge missed opportunity and oversight by the Lego Harry Potter game makers. Thank you for your reverence, and let's return to the podcast. So the order comes to save Harry, and Lego Kingsley Shacklebolt looks absolutely fantastic. And he is, when you get to play as Lego Kingsley Shacklebolt, he's very powerful. The spell capabilities of the Order of the Phoenix versus Harry is really fun early in the game because in the first level, basically, as Harry, you can just kind of shoot out vague spells that just make little pops, whereas when you shoot from one of the orders, it makes a full-on explosion. So that is really nice to really set the stage of, no, the Order of the Phoenix really knows what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah, they're powerful. Truly. So they come to save you. You fly away on brooms, and something that's different from the story, but I think is nice for a game-level perspective, is Tonks' broom goes all wonky, and you crash and then everyone falls into some sort of park and you have a level with Kingsley and Harry where you have to save all of the different order members. Someone's stuck in a fountain. Someone is stuck in a tree. It's a very, very silly level, but a great way to start. Definitely. And it reminded me of like the old comics where, you know, something would happen in Batman and you get sort of those different icons popping up as they fall to the ground because Tonks' broom is kind of going wonky and they all do fall to the ground. But yeah, now that you said that, I remember that level just playing outside of Grimmauld Place and going in and trying to rescue all of them. And and it's just, it's like I said, it's it's the creativity around it. Right. And then with the opening of Grimmauld Place itself, one of the things I really enjoyed was how the separation of those houses and then the bricks and, and everything just coming together as if they were Lego pieces. Yeah, it's really smart. And it's something once they start doing it in the cutscene, I realized, oh, of course they would do this. But I was still surprised that they did it. And yeah, it looks really cool. All the bricks separating like their individual Legos is fantastic. So Harry opens the door to the order meeting, the scene where they are arguing very loudly. And <laughs> when he opens the door, they're all fighting and they're at odds with each other. But once they see Harry, they all quick pivot to everyone just drinking tea and smiling and being happy. The Weezy kids and Hermione are Arthur then shows the newspaper to Harry of him being caught using magic and shows him the warrant. So he's got to go in for the trial. And something that's so fun about the way they do the Daily Prophet is they have the pictures, obviously, but then instead of words, it's just different lengths of Lego bricks. So just your standard rectangular one brick tall however many bricks wide bricks just throughout the newspaper and gosh the attention to detail and the lego jokes they throw in like this are just so funny yeah they definitely are so then you go into the ministry when you are arthur his side ability is that he has a wrench and he can fix stuff so you have to fix things in the ministry in order to progress which is Oh, it's just great. They do a really good job of giving all the characters little side things. Early on, Ron has Pigwidgeon and Hermione's got Crookshanks. And I like that Arthur has a wrench. Because why not? I mean, can't the man get a day off? You're right. Honestly. He deserves some. I also like too, kind of the cut scene just before they go down into the ministry. I mean, this is not necessarily something that even needed to be done by Telltale Games, but the fact that you just get the exterior and you see kind of just the streets of London and then you're taken to the booth itself. Right. Again, a little bit extra. Right. Yeah. It does more than just show them in the next place where the thing happens. It really makes you feel like you're watching the movie or really going along with the story. And if you are familiar with the story, you appreciate the attention to detail and it doesn't feel jumpy. Everything just feels smooth and they do a nice job of interspersing levels with cutscenes and never really feeling like they 
fast forwarded through the story, even though they cut out a lot of stuff, especially in the book five game, because that book's super long and you have to, but it still really feels like they check all of the boxes. Yeah. So it's very impressive. They did a really solid job of keeping what needed to be kept, but cutting things that were not as important and merging things together when it made sense to do so. So Dumbledore rushes in during the trial with evidence and much to the dismay of Umbridge, who looks much younger, at least in the hat. Later on, she looks a little bit more Umbridge-y, but at first I didn't think it was Umbridge, but afterwards you can very much tell it's her when she's the only person that votes guilty for Harry. <laughs> but when Dumbledore tells Fudge that Voldemort is back, Fudge freaks out, says, no, uh-uh, and covers his entire face in his big hat, which is a very fun look. And then, yeah, everyone votes in favor of Harry except for Umbridge. And that is how the, the trial scene ends. Yeah, I like how there's not really uh, an Arabella fig here. And no. just Dumbledore taking out the paper and showing everybody, actually, look, there were Dementors and Harry did use a Patronus. And that's my defense. And uh, you guys are going to have to let him go. But one other thing that I thought was really funny prior to them going into the courtroom was to kind of, you know, you normally expect like a pep talk from somebody like Arthur, but Arthur just kisses Harry on the cheek twice and kind of like, like, okay, good luck, boy. You know, like... (laughs) It's really a comic moment. Yep, it's great. <laughs> so yeah, go, you got this. It's very fun. And yeah, just making it Dumbledore, not Fig, is a great way of making it go quicker and just not having to make 201 characters. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say, I'm guessing she's probably still playable in some capacity somewhere in those 200 characters. But yeah, the fact that you didn't necessarily need her for this particular moment was probably a good call. They've made so many. If you can save one, I guess you got to do it. <laughs> Hey, Editing Mike here, just jumping in real quick. Mrs. Fig is a playable character in the game. Anyway, back to the podcast. And I also appreciated that when you beat this level and you get the trophy, at least on PlayStation, the name of the trophy is Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. So that's another nod where making the titles funny things from the books or small references from the books, even though it's not truly in the game because there's no words being spoken, you still get that nice nod, even though they can't make that joke in Lego because it would be all mumbling. When you beat it and you get that trophy, I still laughed out loud when it said new achievement unlocked. Albus Percival Wolfric Brian Dumbledore. I laughed out loud. It was great. So many little fun things they threw into the game. Mm -hmm. So when you get to Hogwarts movie thing, going along with the films, everyone is switched from Lego robes to Lego sweater vest combos, (laughs) keeping in line with the costume department of the film franchise. And they absolutely nail the Umbridge hem hem scene where she interrupts to give her speech. And of course, they ramp it up to 11 where everybody except for Hermione falls asleep. Everybody, including Dumbledore in the Great Hall, falls asleep. And uh, it was just, it was just really funny and really well done and again you don't need words but they convey the exact emotion of how Umbridge is and how everyone feels about her and it's very well done. Totally agree I thought it was funny how Ron is just kind of sleeping on Hermione and she brushes him off (laughs) because think about it if we were in that situation that's exactly how we would probably have responded to that speech we would have been just kind of snoozing out on the side. Oh yeah I was very bad about sleeping in class in my (laughs) mechanical engineering stuff at Rice I was voting at this year-end party thing, my superlative that I got, I was voted most likely to fall asleep in class. So uh, (laughs) I did not have a good track record. I would have certainly been Ron Weasley. So you have a class later on where you have to make a Lego paper airplane to throw at Malfoy, which is fantastic. She then puts a stop to this and sticks you with the textbooks and rather than have the kids on it, it just has a cat playing with a ball of yarn. So I guess a two-for-one punch of letting you know that she's a cat lady, but also that she's giving you some sort of incorrect textbook for what you need. Exactly. What I noticed here that's very different, Eric and I in a previous episode complained about the Lego hair for the women characters just kind of all looking the same and not looking really nice. They really upped it in the graphics department here. And maybe this was a advancement in Legos at the time because I know now Lego hair is very well done. Or maybe it was a video game thing or both, but Hermione's hair looks so much better here. It looks more accurate. In the cutscenes, their hair actually 
actually moves. So you can see this with Hermione and Ginny. Later on, there's some more complicated hairstyles like Bellatrix, and her hair looks absolutely fantastic and just like the movie. They really stepped up the longer hair graphics and feel in the gameplay and in the cutscenes, and it's really nice. It sucks you in more in the cutscenes. Yeah, I almost wondered to your point if there was some sort of enhancement that was developed in between one to four and five to seven that allowed them to do that. I think there was some movement in the hair in the first game, but not to this level. And it's really, really well done. So Harry tries to protest Umbridge when she gives out the textbooks, but she uses magic to kind of clonk him in the head, very slapstick style, where he immediately turns into a smile and just flops down, which is very fun. And what happens in the game, which is actually really interesting, when you get out of Defense Against the Dark Arts class, a little notification pops up to let you know that you can't use as many spells because Umbridge has banned Defense Against the Dark Arts. So from a gameplay perspective, she actually alters the game and you can't do as much magic, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, just playing into the storyline really, really well there and letting her actually have control of what's going on in that particular year is consistent with what we've been talking about, right? With staying true really to the books and to the movies in this case as well. Definitely. So at this point, I noticed because I am playing the remastered game and I guess it gave me some downloadable content that wasn't standard. I looked it up, but instead of your just main spell slot, you can also switch it out to a rotating cast of spells that all do the same thing, but also have a little funny bonus. So I found the DLC description and I will read it here. It says, quote, like to quack yourself up? Then the new DLC pack of five comedy spells for Lego Harry Potter years five through seven is for you. It includes Duck Lefors, turn a minifigure into a Lego duck, Densogio, which causes a minifigure's teeth to grow, Melophores, which turns a minifigure's head into a pumpkin, Tentaclophores, which elongates a minifigure's head into a tentacle, and Cantus, which makes a minifigure sing a catchy tune. But be prepared. While some people totally deserve to be turned into pumpkin heads, not everyone who bursts into song should quit their day job. You have been warned. I also think one of the ones they added, I don't know if they replaced the tentacle one or if I just kept a avoiding the spell called Tentaclophores on purpose on my end, but I think there's also one that gives everybody the classic Groucho Marx, big glasses, big nose, and mustache combo, which was really fun. But yeah, I had a great time turning Ron and Hermione into ducks, and then you can switch into them, and then you are duck, and it says duck for your character name, and you just hop along for five seconds, and then you turn back into your character. Super fun. Big fan of comedy spells. I, I don't remember that, but that's probably because I played this really early on. Mm -hmm. It's definitely something I think I would like to do, though, now that you talked about it. It's very silly, and it's a good time, and I appreciated it when my spells were limited by Umbridge. I could still turn everyone into a duck, which made me very happy. You found a purpose for it. <laughs> I, I love it. Yes, lightening my mood after being sad about what happened in class. Yeah, the yeah. best way to cope with school-related sadness is turn everything into a duck. Yeah, makes life so much simpler and entertaining. <laughs> So next you're outside Hagrid's hut and Harry sees a flying Thestral, but Ron and Hermione don't. And it's actually a really cool way to express this scene. And immediately after, you and Luna, who does look very different. I didn't recognize her at first. You have the Thestral scene where you have to feed a Thestral in a level. And then she puts on her Lego lion head for no good reason. <laughs> and I realized there's no Quidditch in the entire second game, which is so nice. Big fan. Love that. So I'm glad they just found a non sequitur way to throw the Lego lion head in there, even though the true reason that she puts it on is never explored in the story. That's a really good point. I also love how the Thestral throws the apple back at Harry and hits him on the head. Random <laughs> uh -huh. comedy thrown in there for you. The other cool thing is that I know you mentioned no Quidditch, but you could obviously ride a broomstick in years one to four, one of the new kind of things you can ride in five to seven is a Thestral. So I found that to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's super cool. So Harry then talks to Fireplace Sirius and Sirius tells Harry to start Dumbledore's army. And then Ron and Hermione come over and agree. Ron puts a graduation cap on Harry to signify that he is a teacher now. And then you immediately assemble the team in the hogshead. Cho is head over heels swooning for Harry already. She even growls at Ginny. So they've kind of fast-tracked some of the relationship stuff, especially because Cho is not in year four at all. But I think it's done very effectively where they get the point across. 
at the Dumbledore's Armory training. You have the duel scene, and Harry just looks like an absolute boss as he's shooting off all the spells at the practice figurines. And Ginny then winks at Harry at the end, so also kind of fast-tracking her affections for Harry. Harry blushes, and Lego blush looks very interesting. It almost didn't look like blush. It just kind of looks like big beauty marks on his cheeks. But, uh, you know, what are you going to do? There's only so much you can do with a Lego face, I guess. Yeah, it's true. I mean, you could do the uh, the double kiss like Arthur did maybe to signify, but ah. that might be too soon. You know, at least <laughs> Arthur and Harry know each other pretty well at this point. Harry and Cho, maybe not so much. So, you know, you got to slow play it. True. Yeah, but speaking of kisses, Cho then just plants a big fat one on Harry by making mistletoe appear. And, you know, this seems better than the whole crying thing, but she was looking at a picture of Cedric. So I guess that sadness element is still there, but she isn't sad at all. So it was a bit confusing of the context there. That context was a bit confusing past Mike. I got to hand it to you. And you know what other context would be confusing if I didn't jump in? If we just played ads willy-nilly out of the blue. So since I've already set up this glorious transition, let's cut over to Wingardium Madridosa. Today's episode of Pottery List is brought to you by Tab for a Cause. I'm just going to get right to it. If you want to try to help out the world in some way and you want to do it in a very simple way, you should use Tab for a Cause. It is a browser extension that lets you raise money for charity while just using the internet. It's the easiest way to do it. It's fantastic. You just go to tabforacause.org slash Potterless. So T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E dot org slash Potterless and add the extension to your browser. It takes just a couple of clicks and every time you open a tab, you get a picture of a nice background with the time and you can customize some widgets in there to make it a functional homepage. You'll see some ads in the corner, but those ads are what raise the money. You get a heart every time you open a new tab and then you can take those hearts and pick what charities you want the money raised to go towards. They have a couple charities that you can always give to. They do certain timely charities when there are certain situations that are arising. And if you want to just try to help fight some of the bad that is in the world in a very simple way, you can go to tabforacause.org slash Get it set up on your browser and start raising money for charity in a very, very easy way today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally. So if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. Then you have Harry with the snake dream, and it does give a little bit more away where there's a point where you can see very clearly the reflection of the snake in the hallway, and instead of the snake attacking Arthur, Arthur's eyes just go googly and he faints, which is a nice way to not have to have a snake just, you know, poking holes in Arthur in a kid's game, and uh, I think it's pretty well done. Yeah, I guess maybe they could have tried shattering him into a couple of pieces mm -hmm. that might have worked but to your point it is a kid's game and you want to keep it as pg as possible right so then you have the scene of harry explaining to dumbledore and mcgonagall what's going on when dumbledore turns to portrait lego phineas nigelis he leaves to help which is very fun as a big phineas nigelis fan that i am and there's no sort of hospital scenes. They cut all of that out, which I feel vindicated towards because when I was covering those for Potterless, I thought these scenes don't need to be here. But, you know, I know there's nice things you learn about it, but they just completely ax that. You move on to Aquamency Lessons with Snape. And I don't know how they did this so well, but whoever did the grunt-based voice acting for Snape perfectly captures Snape's anger but also Alan Rickman vibes. It's just grunts, but it's done so well. And I can't explain it other than saying that it's perfect. Yeah, it's, I totally agree with that. When he breaks into Harry's mind, it literally is a wall made out of Lego bricks that break open. And that's just a really nice effect. Then after this occlumency lesson, you move on to charms class and Flitwick teaches you a very interesting spell thing, how you can cut a shape out of some sort of Lego brick wall and then basically turn whatever you have cut into a thing. Just a really fun way to kind of 
put you in charge of making some of the things because throughout the game you'll have a pile of bricks and you just kind of hold circle and turn it into whatever you need but with this extra element to it you get to create the thing that you need and I just think that's nice where you have a little more agency in making stuff necessary to either complete a level or get a bonus thing or save someone in peril that kind of stuff I think it's really nice I think it's fun that they didn't just run the same game back they really added new spells and new features features and i thought this was a really cool touch it is and i love how he kind of jumps up there and cuts the dog out of that uh wall of legos and then it kind of runs around the room for you and yeah flitwick he looks you know very professorial with that mustache i must say it's a good it's a good look so then you get a very wholesome Christmas at Grimald Place, and the squad goes into a room that has Sigurus in it. Ron gets smacked in the face by Creature with a frying pan. Fantastic. <laughs> why not? Yeah, why not? Uh, doesn't really accomplish much except letting you know that Creature's kind of rude to the squad. Sure, we'll take it. Sirius then shows Harry the family tree and the order photo, and then you cut from Bellatrix on the family tree to Bellatrix escaping from Azkaban, and the first thing I notice is her hair just looks great and that is challenging hair big bushy wild curly hair is very hard to convey in terms of lego pieces but they do such a fantastic job of it i was very impressed Harry then teaches the Dumbledore's army Expecto Patronum. Umbridge then breaks in with Draco, who kind of has Marietta almost like by the collar. Just kind of throws her into frame like, ha ha, look what I've got. And then, of course, our good-looking version of Filch comes too. And I did notice, I don't know if I talked about this with the Eric episodes, but in these Lego games, they have a good-looking Filch where his hair is really nice and his beard makes him look kind of suave. But they must have made a later Lego edition of Filch where I've never seen this on a Lego before. For, but you can put a little dome type thing on the top of his head to show that he is balding, which I think is a really interesting Lego innovation. I had never seen balding Lego hair before that wasn't just drawn onto the head and props to Lego. <laughs> They're doing great stuff. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> you made me think of Voldemort there too. Like, but I guess he's not technically balding. He is just straight up bald. Right. And it's just a really nice drawing for the face. But yeah, the new Lego piece is actually something you place on top of Filch's head because it's got the hair that goes beyond too because his hair is kind of longer past his ears and stuff. And I want to take this time to say that people have pointed out that I have been saying Legos as plural for Lego, which is not technically correct. This is an America thing versus other country thing, but apparently, according to Lego, which is wild, you're not even supposed to say Lego as the plural of Legos. Lego is an adjective, so you're supposed to say Lego bricks, Lego sets, Lego minifigs, which is wild. I will not be taking the time to say that. I also will not be saying Lego as plural just because it's not how I grew up learning it. It's not how people that I interact with say about it, and I don't want to sound like a cop. <laughs> So I'm going to say Legos. Does that mean we need to restart the episode over and properly pronounce Lego? Only if the six people who complained about this, if those people want to pay me for the hours spent to redo all of it and fix all of it and edit all in me saying Lego plural, then sure. But I will charge you $5,000 an hour because really, really? <laughs> like. And I don't know, maybe this is a thing where if you're in another country, it's like nails on the chalkboard to hear, but... I don't know. One of the Reddit users, Job, who is one of our moderators, pointed out that it's the same thing as how technically Velcro should be called hook and loop, but everyone calls it Velcro. And also, if someone calls a tissue a Kleenex, you're not going to say, uh, actually, it's, I, there's some linguistics term for it where, yes, you're not technically correct, but everyone knows what you're saying. Like if someone says fewer in a place where they're supposed to say less, you don't, you don't point that out. <laughs> But when you host a podcast, that happens. Sorry for all the people who are annoyed by this, but I've been saying Legos plural for 25 years and I cannot break this habit. Yeah. I mean, if that's all they took out of the episode, I'm, I'm slightly concerned. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got their things. I get it. But also I don't get it. So you have the Dumbledore meeting with Umbridge and he tries to do the clap escape thing, but he fails to do so because Fox doesn't swoop in. He kind of has to, <clears throat> to get him to come through, which is great. You know, Fox is busy. Yeah, he's got bird stuff to do. So the entire squad then goes into the Forbidden Forest with Hagrid to meet Grop. And Lego Grop is just very silly looking, but also great and just a wonderfully charming Grop 
Lego rendition. He tries to play the trumpet for Hermione, and Ron and Harry in the level, you have to play music for Grop so that he can put Hermione down, but then you still get that same great Hermione put me down scene. The other thing I really liked about it is the centaurs. When you first see them, they have kind of like this badass look to them. Like you, you've been talking a lot about hair, and like the hair is just done like, oh yeah, these guys are cool. They look like they got ripped out of a Yu Gi Oh Lego game because their hair is just intense. Exactly. So you've got another Occlumency lesson. Harry does the spell to break into Snape's mind and you get a cool sepia flashback level going through Snape's memory and rather than have the upside down torture thing basically that James does to Snape, instead, James just does a spell that makes Snape's pants disappear and I think this is a huge improvement. It felt so much less cruel to have his pants just kind of disappear as opposed to having Snape helplessly dangle upside down and have his robes reveal his underwear. It just felt more kid-like and I appreciated that. Agreed. Yeah, it's just another one of those comedic moments. Mm -hmm. So after this, you have the Fred and George firework level and you get to play as Fred and George preparing for your big exit, which is just so great. Super fun. They're also just so funny as the Legos because they keep shushing each other and then laughing at it, imitating Umbridge who told them to shush, which is just great. And then the fireworks cutscene escape is also really fun. And right after this happens, when you're watching the two of them fly away. Harry's scar starts to hurt and you have the Voldemort serious thing. And of course, when you try to flew to the ministry, you get caught by Umbridge. But then you do the fake out with the DA letter to say, oh no, we've got you know, the, the weapon that Hermione talks about. So then you go into the forest and the centaurs begin to attack Umbridge and she goes full matrix to dodge all of the arrows and stuff, which is really fun. How acrobatic Lego Umbridge is. Who would have thought? I, right, yeah, very athletic work from her. Hermione and Harry then use the power of a Lego Segway type deal to get Grop. And then when you have the Grop getting rid of Umbridge scene, she he just punts Umbridge to the centaurs and then she lands on a centaur back and they ride off which a very very creative silly hijink based lego way to do it which is pretty fun yeah i actually just chuckled watching that scene where he literally as you said punts her he kicks her <laughs> Yeah, it's intense. So the squad plus Neville, Ginny, and Luna then meet up, and Harry has another scar vision, so Luna suggests that they all fly in the Thestrals. As you say, you get to fly on Thestrals, which is pretty cool. I love a good bony pony, so the fact that you get to fly on one in the game is super fun. The ministry scene is much more simplified. You get right into the prophecy room. Neville has already become post-puberty Matt Lewis, where he's looking suave, and when you get to the prophecy itself... Harry's just has his Lego face on it. So you, you just get right to the prophecy ball and it's there. And the way that they do the prophecy is so fun and they do a really solid job of conveying it, but also making it funny. So basically you have Lego Voldemort and Lego Harry and their hearts pop out of their Lego chests and they kind of meld into one heart. And this is nice because hearts are a measure of life in these LEGO games. Usually have four hearts, and you can lose them in duels and, and fight scene type levels, and you fail the level if you lose all your hearts. So to utilize something from the game in order to show plot, I thought was really creative. Definitely. So the hearts pop out and then the two of them kind of fight over the same heart. And then whoever is holding the heart looks normal, but whoever is not holding the heart kind of fades. Marty McFly's sibling style from Back to the Future. And you just kind of do that back and forth. And that is the way that they show only one can live and the other must die, which I thought was really well done. That level of creativity where they're just trying their best to explain it without using words. And to your point, it's just, it's very, very, well done. Yeah. So Lucius and Bellatrix come in and I don't know what joke they were trying to go for here or maybe it was just the surprise that Bellatrix is back, but she's just kind of hiding behind a, I don't know if it was a scarecrow or some sort of knocked out person. I didn't know if this was like a particular reference that was going over my head. Did anything like this happen in the actual story or is it just supposed to be a way to show Bellatrix is here too and it's surprising? I was very confused. Yeah. 
when I'm thinking back to the movie in particular, I remember how she really kind of has that back and forth with Neville. I'm not exactly sure what that was supposed to represent. Yeah, I was confused, but I don't know. She's here. It's a surprise. It was still funny. I just didn't know if there was some sort of particular joke or reference that just whooshed over my head. But Hermione shoots a spell at Bellatrix, and that starts the whole rumbling. Oh, was it supposed to be serious? Oh, like maybe it's a dummy to be like, we tricked you. There wasn't actually serious. Maybe that's how they signify... Because, yeah, it doesn't look like a person. It looks like a doll, if you will. But, yeah, maybe that was their way of signifying this was all a trap. It was a fake. Yeah, okay. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. Mystery solved. Sleuthing. So the rumbling all starts. You have an escape level. The Death Eaters all have the kids at one point. Lucius has the prophecy and laughs, but then Sirius punches him in the face, which causes him to drop it. Then you have this big fight level, and Bellatrix shoots Sirius into the veil, so he doesn't really fall into it from a high place. He's on the ground, gets hit with a spell, and then he kind of stumbles into the veil. When Harry tries to save Sirius, he grabs him by the leg, but then his Lego legs pop off. And I appreciate bringing some sort of levity into the scene, because this is a crushing scene. Even if you're playing a silly Lego game, it's still kind of sad to think, oh no, Sirius is dying. So adding the leg popping off thing just was something I wasn't expecting that made me chuckle a bit. So you you don't have to feel as sad and you don't have to relive as much pain. Right. I, I do love the fact, though, that Sirius pops back to Lupin and <laughs> requests that his legs be reattached before he fully goes through the veil. And what's nice is that when he goes through the veil, he's floating in slow-mo and his back is arched a little bit and he slowly drifts into the veil. And then he does come back very much, uh, excuse me, could I have my pants back? And Lupin does. And he f- then does the exact same motion when he goes back through the veil, which is really funny. And even Lupin, when he gives him the pants, kind of nods and smiles as if to say, yeah, I just helped out my friend. But then the dawning realization of, oh no, my friend is dead. <laughs> he immediately cuts back to being sad. This whole scene, it was so funny. And I think it's really nice to have such a funny scene for what is for many Lego Harry Potter fans, a really sad scene. Unfortunately, Unfortunately, there's no can't I Potter, which I'm a niche lover of this line here, but if they had that in there, it would have been great. But really, you just chase after Bellatrix and Voldemort shows up immediately and then Dumbledore comes up right after. And what's so cool, as someone who loves this scene so much in the books, you get a Dumbledore and Harry versus Voldemort scene. And I think it's just fun. The way that they do it, we talked about this in the previous episodes, is a big reason why they do this is so that if you are playing two-player, player two isn't bored. But I think it is nice just so that the game isn't a 100% scene-for-scene, shot-for-shot remake of the books or the movies, by adding that second person, it kind of makes you feel like you're either reading a fanfic or in an alternate reality where, oh, instead of just Dumbledore fighting Voldemort, Harry fought him too. And it's also cool, as we talked on in the first games, when Ginny fights against Tom Riddle in the book two stuff, it kind of gives Ginny more agency in that scene. Similar thing for Harry here. Harry fending off Voldemort before he gets possessed by him kind of gives extra emotion into that scene and I think it's really nice and and it's just fun to think oh what would have happened if Harry joined in on this fight as well right and the other thing that I really like about the multiplayer mode is that you do have sort of that free roaming ability so in certain situations you're not obviously able to kind of go too far from the action but when you're actually going through a level let's say you could be in a totally completely different section of the level than where player one might be if you're player two Mm -hmm. and and I just think, you know, again, that adds to the fun of what you're doing. Right. I think it's really creatively done in the game. I think it's really creatively done from a couch co-op perspective. I love a good couch co-op game. So they really put thought into it, which is nice. So when you finish, Voldemort then possesses Harry. Unfortunately, there's no tsa. I was really hoping there would be some sort of Lego tsa since they did the Voldemort in a suit thing. But unfortunately, that did not find its way in there. But You fend off Voldemort's possession, and then you've got all of the kids around Harry reading the newspaper to recap what happens to all the adults in terms of umbrage and fudge and all of that. You're outside of Hogwarts, and then you kind of pan up as fireworks are going off that the kids were shooting off and Grop is holding up Luna who's trying to get an apple off of a tree and that is the final cutscene element of year five because why not right I mean it's it's a celebratory ending it's fun and uh, I'm all for it I'm all for it as well so we begin year six and I think the intro is just such a perfect parody of the absolute 
hecticness of the beginning of movie six, which is just always one of the stranger things to me. I had to rewatch the intro to the actual movie to make sure I caught all the jokes. I forgot the one the Death Eaters are just flying all around. They fly out of a skull because in the Lego one, instead of flying out some vague cloud skull thing, it's just a giant version of a Lego skeleton head, which is so... It's just so funny because I think the Lego skeleton head is just hilarious. So to have an enormous one of those in the sky, I thought was so great. And then you've got all of the Death Eaters flying in. And again, this is something I didn't realize the Lego characters do it. And I totally miss this in the movie. When the Death Eaters go and they get Ollivander out of his store, they also steal all of the wands out of the store. That <laughs> happens in the movie? Like, what is... Why do they do that? I, that doesn't happen to the... I don't think that happens in the book. Maybe it does. But I was laugh I had almost tears rolling down my eyes. Why do they steal all the wands? I, I don't have an answer for that. I, I don't I gotta talk to the director because the decision to be like, yeah, when Greyback takes Ollivander, what if they took all of the wands too? They don't do anything with them. <laughs> I thought the opening was really, really cool. And one other thing that made me think about we had spoken with Arthur Parsons years and years ago. He talked about how they completely repositioned diagonally. They had to do it over from the way that it's structured in years one to four. And so you've probably played the game a lot more recently than I have, Mike. So I was wondering if, if you noticed that. I don't think you get it really at all in year five, but in year six, you know, it's like you get it from that initial lookup point of Weasley's Wizard Wheezes and then Gringotts is all the way at the end. And so I think there was obviously a lot of work that was put into recreating Diagon Alley in sort of these darker years of the Potter story. Yeah, it definitely looks different. It definitely feels different just from a lighting perspective. The layout's obviously different because they increase some of the stores that you can go into and they change it up like that. But yeah, I mean, it's really impressively done. The fact that they had to change so much and make all these new levels. You can see it with some games. I've been playing the new Spider-Man games for PlayStation. So you've got the original one and the Miles Morales one. What's nice about that is it's always New York and they've already built the levels. So they just, as the games progress, they're just fleshing out more of the neighborhoods. So when you play the Miles Morales one, the Bronx is more accurate and they've added some more stuff, which is cool, but you can just keep building on that. You don't have to make new versions of it. You already have the New York that you did. And with each game that comes out in that series, New York is just going to get more and more accurate. Hopefully so accurate to where if you go to my apartment, you can see me yelling at traffic so that the horns stop honking and the sirens stop so I can record my podcast. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, with this, because the movies change up from director to director, director and you have to add new features for the game or whatever, they don't really get to build upon it as much. So it's harder. They didn't just get to say, cool, we already made the first game. Now we just get to do this. They have to make so many more levels and tweak the ones that are already existing. And props to all the game designers. They put in a lot of work into this game and you can really tell. And it's it's nice. I applaud them for it. So when you have Greyback busting out of Ollivander's to show it's Greyback, he howls to the sky like a dog howling at the moon, which is absolutely fantastic. The first of many Greyback is just a dog jokes that goes on throughout the cutscenes, which is fantastic. So then you get the classic bridge breaking, which of course is very funny because the bridge is made out of Lego pieces. And then they switch up the random girl, the, the waitress in the movie, but in the Lego cutscene, she is just also sitting at the train stop with Harry, but she makes some eyes at Harry and then she is putting on makeup to try to, I don't know, go in for a smooch or at least impress him. But then Dumbledore, of course, comes in and waves and then the train whooshes by while she's putting on the lipstick. And when the train finishes, she's just got red and pink streaks all over her face. And then Harry goes over to Dumbledore. And this is something that I thought was creatively done and then they really use it as a really great comedic element is Dumbledore sticks out his arm for Harry to grab for them to apparate but it's his arm with his burnt hand and Harry sees it and goes ah and <laughs> walks around Dumbledore to the other side to use his other hand which is first off just very funny but also is a great way of conveying the burnt hand and as far as a Lego perspective it is just a darker it looks like a charred Lego piece instead of the classic yellow hand and it is a bit of a darker charcoal gray type deal. And I just thought it was a great intersection of comedy and storytelling in the same moment. It's awesome. Agree. Yeah, really well done. 
And as you said, you, you get that piece of the story where if you're a fan of the books or the movies, you know exactly why he does that. And I think it's just a nice little hat tip to the fans. Totally. So then you've got the slughorn scene, Dumbledore, when he has to go to the bathroom, he does a potty dance going back and forth with signifying that he wants to use the restroom. And I realized that because, and this makes sense since they can't talk, so many things that they do in these cutscenes are just charades. <laughs> which is great. I love a good game of charades, and that's just a great way of them signifying it to get the point across using lots of different charade-type tactics. Dumbledore then returns from the bathroom and Slughorn agrees to be a teacher. He was wearing a graduation-style cap, but it matched his pajamas. The way that he signifies that, yes, he'll be a teacher is he takes off that one and then puts on a new one that's black instead of purple, and now he's going to be a teacher at Hogwarts. Yeah, I liked also how uh, they introduced the fact that Slughorn knew Tom Riddle. Harry kind of has that flashback right. of the diary when he sees his photo I'm still laughing from the Dumbledore running to the bathroom scene. It's just really, really cool. It's just so fun. So we cut to Narcissa explaining the Draco Voldemort promise situation to Snape. And it is just a Lego instruction manual of how to build something. And each step along the way is a different part of, you know, Draco promised Voldemort that he has to kill Dumbledore. Otherwise, Draco's going to die. <laughs> it's so it's so good. The, the way that they show it is they kind of go frame by frame of the Lego instructions. And when they cut to or else Draco will die. It's just a Lego skeleton just standing, <laughs> but they play this big, dramatic crescendo of an audio stinger to be like, blah, to, <laughs> to show it. And just that seriousness combined with the zooming of the camera, combined with the fact that it is Lego instructions, combined with the just generic Lego skeleton just standing there. Oh, I'm not exaggerating that I bursted out laughing during this and uh, it's just so funny. <laughs> it really is. And it goes back to what we were just talking about with the whole Dumbledore hand scene. It's really like paying homage to the Potter fan, because if you're not a Potter fan, I'm not sure that you're exactly following what's going on in that particular moment. So I think you just have a deeper appreciation for the creativity that went into creating that type of scene. Yeah. And it's also a perfect use of Lego as a structure to make those jokes. What's funny about the Dumbledore hand thing is his two Lego piece hands are different colors. So you just imagine popping out a yellow hand and popping in the gross dark gray one. And then same thing here, it's a Lego instruction manual. It's just using Lego to elevate the joke further is just very, very fun. And by the way, that hand is starting to creep me out a little bit now because <laughs> I noticed when he came in to like look over Slughorn's shoulder, he put the hand on his shoulder. And so I don't know if this is going to start to creep me out throughout the course of the Half-Blood Prince uh, <laughs> review. Bellatrix is just being a klepto before Snape calls her over to do the unbreakable vow. She's just stealing everything in the room, which I think is a fun choice for her to be doing. So they do the unbreakable vow. And then you've got Harry at Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes. He sees Draco out of the window. So the squad then spies on him with the cabinet. And they are nearly discovered by Greyback because he is playing with a bone in the alleyway like a dog. Very much dog-like motions with him jumping around and grabbing the bone and growling along with it in his teeth. Then you have the Hogwarts Express arriving at the school. Harry just tries to sneak behind Draco and he just slams the door behind him and it hits Harry in the face and he kind of gets knocked out and then Luna wakes up Harry with a small sock to smell. So they went with the movie version versus the book version of Tonks and this was just a nice simplistic way of showing that Harry is definitely creeping on Draco, but you don't have to go through the whole invisibility cloak thing and Draco suspecting Harry being there and stomping on him, blah, blah, blah. This is just a perfect example of shortening something to get the point across clearly. Definitely. You also see here that Luna's specter spectacles, whatever they are, they let you see secret bricks. And that is her extra ability is that she can build stuff out of bricks that go undetected to 
someone else's eye, which I think is a really fun thing to give that character something extra gameplay wise to factor into the game. Yeah. And she still looks different from what I would expect Luna to look like. Yeah. It's something about the hair. I don't know. It just, I think so. maybe it's just hard to translate Ivana Lynch into Lego form, but she didn't look exactly, exactly right. But also it could just be, maybe they just went for the description of book Luna and not necessarily movie Luna, but so much of the other stuff in the cutscenes is really based on the movie. So it felt a little weird. She just, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, except it just didn't, it didn't feel like Luna. But to that effect, I don't really feel like Hermione looks that much like Hermione. And I feel like Ron doesn't necessarily look like Rupert Grint. So I don't know. It, it was more of just, I get that she doesn't look like her. I get it's, it's not the biggest deal because not every character does, but I don't know. Just didn't feel like hundred percent right. So you've got the Great Hall speech. Dumbledore introduces Slughorn, who poofs a potion into Snape's face. And then Dumbledore just chucks a defense against the Dark Arts textbook at Snape, who, at least in the context of this scene, basically in that moment learns that he got the job because he sees the textbook, smirks a little smile, and then does kind of like a little subdued fist pump to himself, like a yeah, kind of <laughs> like he made a putt like he was golfing. Right. Just a little yeah, and it's uh, it was just so cute. It was just a really nice, cute, wholesome moment. And Dumbledore winks at him too. Yeah, it's really fun. I thought it was really nice. So Ron and Harry then fight over the potions textbook in Slughorn's class, and it is just very intense, completely slapsticky to where it goes way more intense. It ends up panning away to Slughorn continuing to teach, and you just see them in the distance going at it, and there's hectic noises all over the place, which just really fun to ramp stuff up to 11 like Lego continues to do in these games. And while Slughorn is making the love potion, Lavender tries to steal it at one point, but Slughorn covers it with a book and she has to move away. I just thought, again, Lavender doesn't really play a major factor into the year six cutscenes, but to have her in just as a joke, mainly just to... Harry Potter fans, I think is a really nice nod where you go, oh, it's Lavender. I get it. Even though they kind of just ditch the whole Lavender Ron subplot throughout this part of the game. Yeah. So final thing before we wrap it up here, Harry does a huge mule kick to Ron to get him out of frame when he's going back to the desk with the textbook. And when Harry opens the textbook, it's got all of the scribbles inside of it on the cover. It has HBP written. And then it also has a blood drop that is half filled red with blood and then a plus sign and a crown. <laughs> so a great way to signify that we are, of course, covering the half blood prince. Just a fun little way to convey it. And I thought it was well done and i thought this whole game is well done and hopefully you all listening thought this episode was well done because that's the end of this episode of Potterless. we will discuss the remaining bits of years six and seven next time but micah thank you so much for joining along to discuss lego harry potter here this was a fun time and uh if people want to find you doing stuff on the internet podcast wise internet wise uh, where can they do so yeah first off thanks for having me this was a nice trip down memory lane and really makes me want to go and uh play some more lego harry potter so i might be doing that a little later on today <laughs> That is a common trend of guests. Eric went on and played it. If you go on and play it, I'm going on and playing it. And lots of listeners have sent me screenshots where, damn it, I had to buy the game now. I feel like I should be getting a cut of all purchases made from, you know, June 2021 on. You know, if you want to shoot me some of those funds, uh, Lego, let me know. There you go. But yeah, I mean, as far as where you can find me, um, as mentioned, um, on MuggleCast, which we release weekly episodes for, really talk about all things uh, Harry Potter. And uh, you can find MuggleCast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at MuggleCast, and then MuggleCast.com. So again, really appreciate you having me on the show. It's uh, it's always a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great to have you back. Glad we could make this happen after talking about it for 75,000 years. <laughs> so thank you so much for joining. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. And as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they steal a bunch of wands out of Ollivander's store and run away with them, wizard on. 
Hey, if you are looking for a new podcast to listen to, you should listen to some of the other shows that are a part of the Multitude Collective. I think that you would really like Horse, because if you're listening to this, you probably like me, and I am a co-host of Horse. Me and Adam Mamawala talk about just the entertaining aspects of basketball. We are here to prove that basketball is not something that you have to be a dude bro sports head in order to follow. We're bringing down the gates, and we are here to show that everyone can enjoy it just as an entertaining pop culture thing to experience. There's so many ridiculous stories that go beyond the sport, and that is what we talk about. We talk about the current things that are going on from Twitter beefs and player drama and beyond to wild NBA stories from NBA history, talking about huge personalities like Charles Barkley and Shaquille O'Neal. It's a very fun show, whether you are a super fan of basketball and you want something that's a bit more lighthearted as opposed to any analytical basketball podcast, or if you just don't care about sports at all and you want some sort of entryway to the world of sports, Horse is a great entrance for you to see, oh, sports are fun and just as ridiculous as some of the other things in my life that aren't sports related. Episodes come out every other Monday. You can check out our website, horsehoops.com, or you can search for horse wherever you get your podcasts, and you can learn that basketball is so much more than what happens on the court. Potter List was created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. It is edited by Mike Schubert. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfelio, Rosemary, Dodge, Marie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor Kerlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Alex Consolver, John Kotker, Noel Basilay, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Nikki Harris, Kine, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Flor Sake, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov Chova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry OS, Will Huser, Mariah Riga, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeel, Kevin Stewart, Jarls Fiven, Peter McGrath, Callahan and Darius, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Reese Dignan, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsaker, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie the Rafe, Matt Barger, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mango Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kitas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Jack Skitzes, Dane Nemcher, Little One, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, Call Call, Mother Feathers, Ribbon Monstrosity, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Hufflepuff Alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmidt, Carries Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Joe Sander, Michael Peavy, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reby, Adriana Hernandez, John Savio, Jody, Dunna Morphy, Nash Sanadiki, Emma L. Oscar Thomason, Sean Kirkoba, Greg Bonastali, Matthew J. Moreland, Ping Vinacek Nani, Emma Kui, Toph Beifong, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Schubert, our intern is Sherry Guo, and the music is by Bettina Kambamanes. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash Potterless, twitter.com slash Potterless Pod, instagram.com slash Potterless Podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash Potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com. If you want to get tickets to our tour, you can go to PotterlessPodcast.com slash live. Merchandise lives at PotterlessPodcast.com slash merch, and bonus content lives at Patreon.com slash Potterless. If you think of someone that might enjoy the show, you could tell someone about that, whether you reach out to them directly, or you talk about it on social media, or you leave us a rating on whatever podcast app you use. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on!